today, um, as I was praying this week about what he'd have me share, he kept taking me back to Romans chapter 14. I spent a lot of time in Romans and in uh, John this week, and um, <clears throat> I want to start, before I go in, get into Rome. I'll read Romans chapter 14, and then I want to jump to another passage. Romans 14 verse 17 says this, for the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but, in, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So Paul writing here, he says, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. For some time, I've been talking about how easy it is to become a carnal Christian. Carnal does not mean I'm always sinning, I'm always focused on sin. Carnal simply means that I'm more aware and familiar with what affects this body than I am what affects my spirit. That I'm more focused on what I see, taste, hear, feel, smell. I might have missed one. The five senses, you know them, right? Those things. That that's my real world. I even said a few weeks ago, the Lord spoke to me and he said, Todd, you've made Jesus look a whole lot like you instead of you looking like him. That's carnality. So what Paul is dealing with here in Romans chapter 14, he's talked about, if you look at the first part of chapter 14, he's talking about some were eating something. He said, this bothers me that this person eats that. And he said, I'm convinced that if God's blessed it, there's nothing wrong with it. But don't allow your freedom to become someone else's stumbling block. Right? So he's talking about the, the, um, the carnal things. He, he mentions, he talks about not just carnal things. He talks about what you eat, what you drink, the days that you observe. He said, if it doesn't bother you and you observe it, that's good, but if it bothers somebody else, don't become a stumbling block because you feel like you're free. Are you with me? So in the context of that, it's where he makes this statement in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about those three things. He said, this is what the kingdom looks like. It looks like righteousness, it looks like peace, and it looks like joy. That's what the kingdom operating looks like in my life, righteousness, peace, and joy. So as I was looking at that and thinking about these scriptures and everything that he's talked about through in my heart over the past few weeks, one of the things he said this, he said, we've got to learn how to receive, reveal, and release the kingdom of God. In Mark chapter 10, it says this, Jesus, I, I shared this not too long ago when we talked about our core values and, and the vision of our house. Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 16, he says, And they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. But the disciples, the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter at all. And he took, him, took them in his hands, his arms, and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. So we've said this before, and I want to say it again, that today was an example of we're growing in a lot of things. And one of the things that we're growing in in this area is looking more like the family that he's called us to look like and less like an institution. 
And with that, there's growing pains. And one of the things we're doing, the kids are in here, and they're in here doing worship. And uh, we're going to work through that. We're going to process that, what that exactly looks like and things like that. But we want them, you know, we want them to see what worship looks like. So that's twofold. That's, all right, we've got to know the kids are going to be in here. They're not going to worship like we worship. The second side of that is we need to worship like we really know who we're worshiping. That we don't just gather to do a thing, and it's called worship. And we do that because that's what we do before we give or before we hear somebody preach. But that we worship as unto one, not unto others, but as unto one. I'm, I'm convinced, as what Josh said, I'm convinced as we grow in our understanding of him, that we'll not go through the motions and we'll not do it because it's what we've seen done, but we'll do it because our heart is what it is toward him. And I'm convinced, everyone in here who really has a relationship with Jesus I'm convinced your relationship with him affects how we express our love to him. And I'm convinced of this. When we get to heaven and that, that relationship is no longer a faith relationship, but it's a sight relationship, our worship's even going to look different. Now, what's sad, and this is something I've come to grips with, what's sad is it shouldn't be that way. Because we're one right now. That's what he said. In John 17, Jesus prayed that we would be one as he is one with the Father, that we would be one so that the world would believe. So if we're in that type of intimate relationship with him now, then our worship shouldn't be hindered by the fear of man of those who are around us. You say, well, you don't understand. And I am not teaching on how you should worship, but what I am teaching on is this. I believe when we really see him, what others see in us is irrelevant to us. When we really see him, how others see us is irrelevant to us. I know I'm using that word a lot, but he's using it a lot with me. That where I've placed my relevance and what's important to me and what should be most important to me. So in this growing thing, it's growing everyone. We've got to understand the kids are in here, and we're going to have to have grace toward what that looks like. But this passage of Scripture right here has been wrecking me for months. Every, it's mentioned two or three times in scripture that Jesus was in a meeting and the disciples were there and the kids were trying to come and the, kid, and the disciples were, uh, I mean, the disciples were trying to hinder the kids coming. So there's growing that's going to happen around this whole building on every level. Parents, if your kids are in here and they're with you, we're going to have to grow and realize I want them to learn and grow and, but I want them to realize that what I do in my home may not be what we do in this home. The freedom that my kids have here may not have at home, they may not have here. So I just have to rein them in a little bit, not tie them down or buckle them down, but just help be mindful of those who are around us. Those who are older who don't have kids at home, what you've got to be conscious of is their kids are here learning. And they're learning from us. And what are we teaching? Hmm. Selah. That's a good word in the Bible. It just means think about what he said. Selah, these things. So if we say we want our kids to see our example, what, are we exa what example are we setting for them in our worship? It's easy to push them aside and say, we're going to say, and I believe that there, there's nothing wrong with focused attention on them. But I also believe that we've done an injustice to just think we can do the same thing that we've always done and expect something different. That's insanity. Growing in that process, I'm encouraged by Jesus in his life. 
Jesus was constantly teaching about the kingdom. He even said this in Luke 16, 16. He said, until, uh, the law and the prophets were until John, John the Baptist. And he said, since then, it's the kingdom of God, and everyone is pressing into it. Jesus said a shift took place. Do you understand? When John the Baptist came and he was declaring out in the wilderness, there's coming a man. John said, I'm not the man. I'm pointing to the man who's coming. And when he comes, I'm not even worthy to undo his shoe latchets. And when John was there in the river and he was baptizing, and when he, he looked up and he saw Jesus, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He, he's referred to as the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus the Christ, when he came, John said, this man changes everything. John wasn't even in the new covenant yet, but he understood that what Jesus was bringing was going to shift and change everything. Jesus proclaimed that in Luke 16, 16. He said, until John was the law and the prophets. Is that's how we, had, we knew God, and that's how we understood God was through the law and the prophets. But now everything has changed. We can have intimate relationship with Jesus. That's good news. That is so good. That no longer do we need a mediator. As Josh said, we don't need a Moses to go on the mountain and get a word and give to us. We can go up the mountain because Jesus made the way. The finished work of Christ is not just a ticket to heaven. It's an opportunity for heaven to be expressed through me here on earth. That's what the kingdom of God is. Everywhere Jesus went, he released the kingdom. He let them understand what righteousness really looks like. It's not in your doing, in your keeping of the law. It's in an intimate relationship with God. He, he explained peace. Many times when Jesus showed up, the first thing he would say to them is, peace. Because he would walk into some turmoil. He would walk into a situation. After he resurrected, he showed up in the middle of the room. He said, peace unto you. I can understand that. Right? Oh, you're so spiritual, carnal. <laughs> I'm going to help you with it. I'm sorry. I'm not being mad. If, these room, if this room was locked and all the doors were locked and it was shut up and Jesus appeared right here, would, someone, would it be helpful if someone said, peace to you? Punch your neighbor and say, wake up, he's talking to you. I'm saying, this is real, this happened. They're in a room, the door's shut, they were already afraid, right? Because persecution had come against them already. So they're afraid, they're in the room, they're locked up, and Jesus appears in the midst, and the first thing he says is not a rebuke. Why y'all locked up in here? Why y'all scared? What's going on with you? The first thing Jesus said to them is, peace. How about this? I like, oh, thank God. Because he said a word? No, because when Jesus said a word, the reality of that word was released in the room. When Jesus spoke a word, the reality of that word was released wherever he was. How can you say that? Jesus came. He had been up on the mountain with God. The disciples, he said, get in the boat, go to the other side. Mark's gospel. Get in the boat, go to the other side. Right? And so they're in the boat, they're toiling. They get around about halfway through, they're toiling, and Jesus comes walking on the water. And he said he made as though he would have walked by. But they saw him, and they were afraid it was a ghost. He said, peace, it's me. And then Peter said, if it's you, bid me to come to you. Jesus, the man, the God-man, walking on water, defying natural law. And Peter, I don't know, you know, we through experience can see 
that we're a lot more like Peter than we think. Because many times Peter spoke before he thought. Peter up on the mountain of transfiguration, you know, Jesus manifests. Uh, there's uh, uh, Moses and Elijah are there. And Peter been sleeping. <laughs> Peter wakes up. He sees what's going on. He says, wow, this is good. Let's make three tabernacles. Let's just dwell here. And the other two disappear. Why? Because it wasn't about them. They were just there to affirm who Jesus was, that, that everything that they came was fulfilled in this one. That's why he's who remained. Jesus remained. They didn't remain. But Peter spoke out. Let's build three. Let's just hang out here. Jesus said, no, they were just here to point to me. So Jesus is there walking on the water, standing on the water, and Peter says, if it's you, bid me to come to you. So he put Jesus in a position. Was it Jesus? Yes. So he couldn't deny it's not me. So when he said that, if it's you, then bid me to come to you. So Jesus did at Peter's request. He said, come. And I want you to understand, Jesus' proclamation of the word come is what gave Peter the ability to walk on water. He didn't have it in himself. The power of Jesus' word brought manifestation of supernatural ability to Peter's life. It does the same in ours. That's the power of the spoken word. He created us in the image of God. John 14, 12, he said this, greater works than these will you do because I go to the Father. Well, what had he been doing? He'd been healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils. And he said, greater than these shall you do. He didn't just mean uh, greater work like our work will be eternal. His work was eternal. What he meant is we would do, we would go and number, yes, there would be more of us, but also that we should see as much as he saw and more because the same life that empowered him empowers us. That's the kingdom of God. That's righteousness, peace, and joy. That's where our heart has to be set on. And as I was thinking of that and just um, meditating on the kingdom of God, he took me to a passage. Maybe you've heard of this. Maybe not. I'm stretching. I think most of us has heard of this in John chapter 3. Anybody heard of John chapter 3? Read any in John chapter 3? This is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to him by night, and uh, he said this in verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb? Jesus answered in verse 5, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. This is a leader in the synagogue. This is a Pharisee. And he came to Jesus and he said, I know there's something different about you. What do I have to do to have what you have? Jesus said, you must be born again. And I don't want to take that for granted any longer, that just because you show up at church that you're born again. He said, you've got to be born of water, which is the natural birth. It's speaking of the natural birth. It's not baptism here. It's speaking about natural birth, that you're born of the water and of the spirit. 
Romans 6 talks a whole lot about baptism, what Joshua was talking about. It talks about that when we are baptized with him, we die, and that what's resurrected is our new life in him. That baptism is a prophetic declaration that the old man died and the new man is alive. So as we walk in that, but here he's talking to Nicodemus, and what he's literally talking about, if you want to be a partaker of the kingdom of God, you must be born again. So before we can talk about releasing the kingdom, we got to know that we're in the kingdom. And that comes through being born again. You go, oh, we know that. We speak in tongues and we do all this. What I'm saying is this. Jesus very plainly said, he taught about the kingdom. In Mark's gospel, chapter 1, right out of the gate, Jesus starts teaching. He said, I'm preaching the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. Verse 14, I believe it is. I'm preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Then what did he do? He went out and he did signs, wonders, and miracles. He healed the sick, raised the dead, cast out devils in Mark's gospel. The first thing he did is he went in the synagogue and he delivered someone who was demon-possessed. Right after his baptism, he went right in the synagogue and delivered someone in the church of a possession. Jesus was preaching the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. He kept saying, the kingdom of God has come near you. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus is sending out the 70 disciples. And he told them, he said, you know, I love this. In, in Luke 10 there, when he's, when he's telling them, he said, I want you to go out. This is the 70, not the 12. So if your belief system said that the only ones who did signs, wonders, and miracles were the apostles, the 12, then you need to rip, rip Luke 10 out of your Bible. Because in Luke 10, he commissions the 70 to go out. Let me, uh, let me just go there real quick. After these things, verse 1, he appointed 70 uh, others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. So if we want a formula in uh, our day... It's easy to desire a formula, see someone, how someone else did it, and then copy what they did so that we can have what they had. It's not always bad, but in relationship, if we're trying to get a, a relationship out of a formula, that's bad. If we're trying to get understanding and see what works and doesn't work, that's okay. You can see that. But here, if we want to see how Jesus went about and how uh, revival took place in the life of Jesus and then in, in the early days of the spreading of the gospel... What Jesus did is this. He sent out people who had, who he commissioned to do what he did. And they went and did it ahead of him. That's what it says here. Jesus gathered 70 people together, right? Luke 10, look with me. Luke chapter 10. It says, and after these things, Jesus appointed 70 others also and sent them by two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. So we wonder, when Jesus went to town, why did so many crowds show up? It's because before Jesus went in, he had sent people who went before doing what he did. So it wasn't a great media campaign, a media blast, or anything like that, what Jesus did. It wasn't, uh, I don't want to upset anyone. It wasn't that Jesus sent intercessors ahead of him just to go pray and not talk. These are models that I've seen in the church. You just send people to foreign countries just to pray, not talk to anybody about Jesus, just pray and intercede. 
so that God can come and move. That's not the model. You see that nowhere in Jesus' life and ministry. What did Jesus do? He he commissioned people to go do what he was doing, and he sent them ahead everywhere he was going. So when Jesus came to town, they already knew the people had been laying hands on the sick. They had been casting out uh, devils. They had been raising the dead. They had been doing those things. So when Jesus came, these people were proclaiming, we do this in the name of Jesus, and he's coming. So we can come up with all kinds of plans about how we can grow this ministry or, or grow whatever, our small group or our growth group or whatever. If we do what Jesus did, we'll see growth. If we get alone with the Father, we spend time with the Father, we allow who He is to start changing who we are instead of trying to make Him look like us. And we start looking like Him and then we go out to our workplace or we go wherever, not Standing on the street corner and saying, hear ye, hear ye, thus saith the Lord. If God tells you to do that, just make sure it's him. But, not, but condemnation is not going to come out of it. The love of the Father is going to come out of it. But these people went, and here's what Jesus said. It's so amazing. <laughs> this was before Holy Spirit came to live in them. He would come upon them. And I believe Jesus' commission put the Holy Spirit upon them like we saw in the Old Covenant because he had not died yet, so the Holy Spirit couldn't be poured out yet. Are you with me? So he commissioned the Holy Spirit was upon them. He said, when you go to a house, release your peace. And if your peace stays, then you can enter in. And don't go from door to door to door to door. Well, that'd mess up some denominations. He said, don't go door to door. You go in that house and you stay as long as your peace stays. But he said, if you go and your peace comes back to you, then just go to the next door. Jesus was teaching them how to be led by the person of Holy Spirit who was upon them, not in them. How much more us? How much more us should we be sensitive to the person of Holy Spirit? And as I've been pressing into this, I've been saying, Jesus, you show me. Because you know what you can do? You can get in a ditch, and you can go, oh man, I got to go pray for more people, and I got to go do more stuff, and what you end up doing is you become legalistic, and you, you begin to think that your relationship with God is determined on how much you do, instead of just being still and hearing what the Father is saying, and follow Him. You can, so what that means is this, practically, you go to Walmart, you hear about people who go to Walmart, and they pray for people in Walmart. You could get in a ditch and you go, everybody I pass, I'm going to pray for. And there's no God on you. You're just doing it out of duty. There's no peace on you. You're not releasing peace. You don't feel peace. But you're doing it, bless the Lord, because Jesus did it, so I'm supposed to do it. But if we spend time with him and we go, Jesus, what I want you to do, if he highlights everybody that walks by you, then you touch everybody that walks by you. You speak to him. But if he doesn't, then you say, I want to see the one that you have, Father, because that's the one that my heart can be drawn to. So I'm not doing something out of religious duty. I'm doing something because I feel your heart tugging toward this person. So that frees us and it sets us, it, it, it takes the shackles of the yoke of religion and bondage off of us, but it doesn't say that I don't have to do anything. Again, Jesus told them, Go, release your peace. So when you walk into Walmart, you know what you say? Father, I'm going to release my peace. And where I find my peace resting on someone, I'm going to say something to them. Does that mean everyone's going to accept it? Nope. They didn't in Luke chapter 10. There were some that said, nope, we don't want it here. And he said, okay, just shake the dust off. Now, you don't have to do that in front of the people. You don't have to go, well, I don't have anything to do with you. And walk off from them. 
It's not what I'm promoting. But what I am saying is, but you know what it does? Is it gives us an opportunity not to be carnally focused, but to be spiritually minded. Because in Romans, he said to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The word life is zoe. It's the God kind of life. It's life like he has it. And peace. It's that same word peace that's mentioned right here. In the New Testament, uh, the Greek word peace, it means um, tranquility. It also means uh, prosperity. But it's not nearly as deep as the word that we get in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, not the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, when it talks about the peace. In Isaiah, he says, he'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him. That word peace there, it means it means uh, tranquility, it means healing, it means prosperity, everything. This is very similar to our word salvation, sozo. Salvation doesn't just deal with, oh, I get to go to heaven. Salvation deals with, it made everything right. You with me? So why are you saying that? Because when Jesus released peace, he wasn't speaking Greek, he was speaking Hebrew or Aramaic. So when Jesus walked in a room, he spoke peace. He, you know what he was saying? I speak wholeness over you. I speak wholeness over every area of your life. You can be at rest. You go, wait a minute. It doesn't look like that in my life right now. That's where we have the opportunity by faith to believe into what he's already said is ours through our covenant. And go, I'm going to confess what he said. I'm going to believe what he said. I'm going to agree with what he said. So Luke chapter 10 And he said, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest, into his harvest. Uh, Let's see. This is it. But whatever house you enter, verse uh, 5, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in that house, eating and drinking such things as, as they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. And he says, don't go from house to house, whatever city you enter, and they receive you. Eat such things as are set before you. Look, verse 9, heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. He said, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Romans chapter 14 says, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy. So as I was thinking about that and looking at this, I'm not going to get far into this today. Um, but a couple of passages. Romans chapter 1 Verse 16 and 17 says this, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So I talked about in John 3, he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. How does that happen? Josh mentioned it earlier, by believing that Jesus is who he said he is, and say, Jesus, I believe that you paid for my sin, and I receive you as my Savior and Lord. It's not confessing all your sins, it's confessing him to be Lord over your life, believing in him. That's what he told uh, the Philippian jailer in Acts when he, when he sprang in and was going to kill himself. And they said, Don't, do yourself no harm, everybody's still here. I've said it, I'll say it again. To me, that's as big a miracle as anything, that everyone, not just the saved folks, 
Everyone's prison door was open and no one left. The doors were open, but they were arrested by the Holy Spirit. Because you can't tell me people in there who had killed people, who had, had robbed people and all that stuff, if the door was open, they wouldn't have just burnt the road up. But he said, we're all here. And the jailer came in and he said, what do I do? What do I have to do to be saved? He said, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your house can be saved. He didn't say you believe and everybody's in, but what he's saying is it's as simple as believing that Jesus is who he said he is, and you confess him to be your Savior and Lord. And we make that, it sounds too simple or too easy, and I want you to understand, simple and easy are not synonymous words. Sometimes something that's very simple is very difficult. It doesn't have to be complicated to be difficult. It can be very simple, but it's still difficult. Romans chapter 3, very familiar passage of Scripture. Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Remember I mentioned the law and the prophets of the Mount of Transfiguration. Even the righteousness of God, verse 22, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. So right here, Romans 3, Paul talking to them. He said, here's what you need to understand. Being born again, coming into the kingdom of God is believing in Jesus. It's believing in Jesus. It's all, for whoever. He's no respecter. For, so that's how a three-year-old who has an understanding of it, a four-year-old who has an understanding of it, can believe in Jesus and can be born again. That's how an 80-year-old on their deathbed who hasn't known Jesus their whole lives, or maybe rejected him and didn't receive it, can still believe in Jesus at that place. Thank God, I'm not the judge. You're not the judge. All we are is the messengers that get to deliver the good news. That's gospel. The word gospel literally means too good to be true news. It was a word that was very rarely used because it was such good news that people said there's not really that news that good. (laughs) He said, on all... On all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, when I was in Bible college, that was a verse we had to learn. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 5.8. But God commended his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But here it says, we stop in verse 23. He says, for the all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Is that true? Yeah, is it the whole truth? No, verse 24 is the rest of the truth. Verse 24 says this, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation. That's a big word. It means a payment by his blood. So the blood of Jesus upon the cross when he hung for your sin and my sin is our way into relationship with the Father. It comes by faith through grace, not apart from each other. It's not just, not just by grace. If it was by grace, then everybody's saved. Because his grace is bigger than you and me. His unmerited favor was to the whole world. But how do we enter into that relationship? By faith. When by faith I believe that the blood of Jesus covered my sin, the sinless for the sinner, I'm set free from the penalty of sin. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at this present time his righteousness. That we might be just, that he might be just 
and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So God's justice is fulfilled in the blood of Jesus. That's good. And he's the justifier of all who put their faith in him. The justifier of all who put their faith in him. Wow. One more. This is a little lengthy, but I want to read it. Romans again, chapter 10, verse 1. Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. You know, Josh testified about that. I can say there's been seasons in my life where I had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. I had a zeal for God according to someone else's knowledge, but not my own relationship and intimacy with him. And that's why he said Israel, they have a zeal, for God, a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. He, he, this word righteousness, you say, man, you talk about that a lot. Listen, this is in just a few verses and it's mentioned that many times. He wants us to understand Righteousness, right standing with God is not based on how well we perform, but it's based on faith in Jesus' finished work. His blood upon the cross is what makes us righteous. The law was striving to get grace is receiving from what Jesus did. Verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who does what? Believes. He's the end of the law for righteousness. He's the end... Of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does these things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Emily said in here earlier, I just release shame. When we believe in him, it doesn't mean we do everything right. But what it says is he was naked so, and, and, and open before man so that we could walk without shame. He bore shame on the cross, hanging publicly naked, open before men. Shamed by men so that we could go shameless. Not because we make light of sin, but because I make much of Jesus. There's not a mistake you can make that's greater than the blood of Jesus. Every sin you have or will commit was in the future when Jesus died for you. So if it didn't cover it when he did it, you're lost. There's no hope. So it's not, well, it covered them all up until I got saved, and then after that, I've got to do right to be right. Nope, that's the law. That's going back under the law. So you say, this is a gospel message. You're just, trying to, you're just preaching to lost people. No, I'm preaching to save people that will wake up to who they are. If you're really saved and set free, then he says sin no longer has dominion over you. We can walk in a new level of freedom today. 
because of what Jesus accomplished. Not because how well we've done up to this point, but because what he accomplished. And my heart's desire is this, that we'll never release the righteousness of God, the kingdom of God, until, we've been know, until we know we've been made righteous because of what he did. We'll never share the good news because we don't think we're worthy to carry the good news if we're looking at us and not at him. We'll be afraid of men and what men will say or what men will do. And the fear of man will be what drives us and not the passion and love of God. My heart stirs for us to really look like a New Testament believer, a New Testament family that's willing to lay our lives down. He said, don't owe any man anything except to love them. And that we live that way. That we don't just talk about good Christianese things, but that we actually live that way. That the kingdom of God is more than just a, a, a nice saying that we know through the Gospels, but it's a reality in my life that the righteousness of God is established in me because of Him. And when I understand His righteousness in me, the natural result is peace and joy. You don't have to pray for people to give you, to, to, to pray for Get people to pray for you to have his peace. Now, it doesn't mean everything in your life will be peaceful, but in the midst of the storm, you can have peace. Because I understand that I'm not bound by the limitations of this current situation. Because I've been made righteous, and as he is, so am I in the earth. As he is, so am I in the earth. So he desires that his righteousness, you know, uh, I don't know. <laughs> we'll hear more about this. We're going to talk more about the kingdom of God in the, in the upcoming Sundays. Because it's burning in me, and I, I believe with all my heart, as we start receiving <clears throat> the love of God, the righteousness of God, the kingdom of God into us, and we start understanding what that looks like for me. You know what? It'll affect the smallest to the oldest. Because it's not about where, where they are in their understanding, uh, how, much, how deep their knowledge is of God and how much they can uh, verbiage, how much verbiage they can give. It's talking about what you're walking in right now. As Curran came up and, and so simply said, it's about he wants you to just be his friend. He wants you to know him as a friend. Jim shared that. And when we understand that God desires to be our friend, closer than a brother, one that sticks closer than a brother, then we can walk in a place that we've never walked in before. It won't be out of religious duty. It won't be because I feel like I have to perform. It'll be because I understand who I am and whose I am. That's what my heart is burning for because I believe the world desires to see the kingdom. He said in Luke 16, until John, it was the law and the prophets, but since then it's the kingdom of God and everyone is pressing into it. So Jesus commissioned 70 and he sent them out. He said, you go release your peace and when your peace rests there, then show them the kingdom. Heal the sick. Man, you're talking about a good deal. You're talking about a good deal. 
all the way around. The person who received them received much more than just a, uh, a person to stay with them. They received healing in their home. They received the word of the Lord in their home. That's good. And that's my heart for this house and for your house. Is that we receive the kingdom. And with the kingdom comes the king. There was the other thing I was going to get to and I'll close with this. Kingdom is an irrelevant term if you don't understand there is a king who has rule in the kingdom. So if you don't know the king or the heart of the king, it can sound controlling and uh, dim. But if you know the heart of the king, the one that loved you so much, he gave the very best he had so that he could have you in his kingdom, then we see his kingdom from a different place. And we understand that his rule in our life is not to be for us to be a chess piece on his board, but for us to be in intimate relationship with him so that we can demonstrate who he is to the world who's never seen him before. That's the heart of our Father. So I want us to stand. <clears throat> if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to do that today, to believe on him. We, uh, we'll, you can come down and we'll pray with you. But what I want to do is just pray over us as a body. And I want to release us to be everything he's called us to be. And it's something that, that Josh said that was so good. That we no longer be consumers. That we don't come to get, but we come to give. That we understand that every time I come in this place, I'm carrying the kingdom of God. So not just at Walmart can you release your peace. In this place, you can release your peace. And you can walk in. And, and we, we talked about this in our leaders meeting just the other night. And we're going to have more teaching about this. But if you understand that what you carry is vitally important to this body and to the kingdom, then when you come in, no matter what you're doing in serving or just being in attendance, you realize you have something to release. It switches something on the inside of you that I'm not just here to make it till next week. I'm here because I've carried something in this room that somebody needs. And I'm going to be intentional to find out, God, who you've highlighted that I can release it. Might not be a healing. It might just be a word of encouragement. It might just be a hug. You have no idea until you see yourself as someone who carries something that you can release. But if you always see yourself as the one who's broken, the one who needs somebody to minister to them, you'll always be the victim and never be the victor. And if, last time I read Romans, he said, You're more than a conqueror. More than a conqueror. So that means there's something in you that needs to be released to someone else. What's it going to look like? See, I, I, I dream. What's it going to look like when we come in understanding, as we come in understanding who we are, whose we are, and what we carry, who we carry, and that there's someone here, not that I'm more spiritual than them, but there's someone here that needs what, I, what God's been doing on the inside of my heart this week. And it could just be a hug. It could just be, again, an encouraging word. It might be a prophetic word. It doesn't have to be a prophetic word. It could just be, man, when I saw you, the Father's love just welled up on the inside of me, and I just had to give you a hug. And once you know, he loves you so much. Who would be mad if someone came up to you and did that? Okay, just checking. Just checking. 
No one raised their hand. So if someone does that, don't let the enemy diminish it because I said it. Amen. So, Father, I bless you because I realize, God, every good and perfect gift comes down from our Father. Every good and perfect gift. Father, as I stand here today, I bless our people. I pray and ask that God, a spirit of wisdom and revelation and understanding, the eyes of our heart would be enlightened so that we might know what is the hope of your calling in us. What is the exceeding goodness, the greatness of your love over us? Father, I pray that our eyes would be open to see a righteousness that's from above. That's because of the finished work of Jesus, the blood shed on Calvary's cross. That I am redeemed. I've been made right. The payment for sin was paid in my life. So if there's someone here today that's never said, Jesus, I believe in you. I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. I receive you as such today. I repent. I return from life of sin and and, uh, denying you to a life of accepting and and, uh, loving you. God, if that's the first time they've done that today, or if there's those in here today who said, I've been born again, but I've been living for me. Today, I release that all to you, Father, that the kingdom of God would be both seen and manifested among us, that the righteousness of God would be seen in us and through us, the peace of God seen in us and through us, the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, would be seen in us and through us, that, God, we would serve others well, that we would love you. And allow your love to totally change and transform our lives. So, Father, I commission, I bless this this, uh, body of believers to be released in identity in you. That our hearts and minds would be open to know what that really looks like and to walk it out and to live it out. Father, we love you and we bless you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.